Father, we continue to worship you today and lift up your name in praise. And we praise you today because you are worthy. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and for your purpose all things were and are created and we're here today for no other reason than to lift up our praise to you god i pray that you'll help us today to focus on you and not allow the distractions of life the distractions of this world to keep us from drawing close to your presence and allowing you to to just manifest yourself to us today in a real way. I pray that, that we'll open up our lives and listen to what you have to say and draw us close to your heart and let us just feel loved by you as you draw us to you today. So God, be honored, be glorified, be lifted up, be praised as we continue to worship you now in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your, take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 111. <clears throat> for some of you who may be here for the first time today, we've been, we've been spending the, the last months uh, looking through the Psalms. We've returned to the Psalms and we're looking at the, the first part of the fifth book of the Psalms. And today we turn to Psalm 111 for encouragement uh, from the Lord. At the Oceanside entrance of the Market Common, <clears throat> there's an outdoor historical museum of the former Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. I don't know if you've had a chance to walk through uh, that museum or not. It's outdoors. Uh, it's, it's very well done. Uh, we learn by walking through that museum that the, the, the base was first operational as a training area for pilots who were fighting in World War II. Uh, according to documents, 100,000 acres surrounding the runway was designed as, for, as pilot training. And this included training in the European theater uh, during World War II, but it also then was recommissioned during the Cuban Missile Crisis the Dominican Republic crisis, the Vietnam War, which some of you actually served in, and then Desert Shield and Desert Storm, which we have some people sitting here this morning who uh, fought in both of those areas. Well, on March 31st, 1993, uh, I was honored to share the opening prayer at the decommissioning ceremony for the Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. Uh, it was a very humbling experience, a very sobering experience for me. I knew that many people had had their lives totally changed in the process of uh, being trained at the Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. And so I put on my best blue suit, I put on my uh, starch white shirt, I put on my brightest red tie, and I went to do the best that I very, uh, very best that I could in uh, showing my respect and showing the, the, the honor to those who had uh, served at the Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. Uh, I recently walked through that memorial section of the outdoor museum, and there was this faded bouquet of flowers wrapped up in plastic. On the outside, there was uh, a handwritten note, and here's what it said. It said, love you, Dad. Happy birthday. 
to the person who left those flowers there, the person who wrote that note, that memorial was personal. That memorial really meant something to that person. See, showing appreciation and honor to something or to someone is important, especially when there has been a sacrificial investment from them to us. Uh, it's a right, it's a value, it's an honor for someone who is truly praiseworthy to be lifted up and praised. We turn to Psalm 111 this morning, and the attitude of the psalmist seemed to be that kind of attitude. He wanted to show his highest praise to God. Now, often when we think of praise and worship, we think of what we just finished doing here, uh, singing praise to God and worshiping God through what we call praise and worship. But praise is so much more than just singing. It's a part of it. And I'm so thrilled that we have a wonderful opportunity every week in our corporate worship service to show our praise and honor to God through singing. But praise, in fact, is so much more than that. And we're going to see this morning that real praise is a spiritual weapon that believers in Christ have that we can apply to our life. So we want to look this morning from this psalm at three reasons why we praise God. So let's just dive in and look at them. First of all, we see in verse 1 that we praise God for who He is. We praise God for who He is. The psalmist, probably like you and me, those of you who know God and worship God through Jesus, the psalmist didn't have enough words to adequately express his praise to God. And so he took the Hebrew alphabet. Now, you, you, you can't see this in the English translation, but if you, had a, if you had a Hebrew text, you would see that there are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet. And the psalmist wrote down that Hebrew alphabet, and for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet, he wrote a praise to God. He showed God how much he honored him and praised him. It would be like you taking the English alphabet, the 26 letters, and writing down A to Z. And for every letter in the English alphabet, writing out something that draws you to praise God. In verse 1, he says, praise the Lord. In other words, there's, there's another translation of that that simply says, hallelujah. Uh, we sang about that this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I hope you can look at this verse. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I hope you can see the determination that the psalmist had to recognize the fact of who God is, to recognize the greatness of and the worthiness of God to be honored and to be glorified. The worthiness of somebody like you and me to get excited about lifting up and giving praise to the name of the Lord. This word Lord, when it's capitalized like this in the English translation, L-O-R-D, is the most personal name for God in the Bible. For example, God appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. 
And God commissioned Moses to take the children of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and to lead them from Egypt back to the promised land, the promise that God gave to Abraham. And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, Moses said, If I come to the people and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Tell them, I am sent you. And the, the reference there was to the fact that God is indescribable. He's immeasurable. There are not enough words in the English language or any language to fully describe who God is. And so he said to Moses, tell him, I am sent you. In Exodus 34, 6 through 8, when, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai preparing to gather the scroll for the Ten Commandments for the second time, the Bible says in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 34, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. See, when Moses understood the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God, he fell to his face and he gave praise to God. He worshiped God. Now the psalmist recognized that God was perfect. God was righteous and he is righteous in his character and because of that he can be trusted. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas had been in Philippi preaching. Simply preaching the good news, preaching the gospel. And they were pulled outside the city and they were tortured. They were nearly killed. They were nearly murdered. And then they were bound and put in prison. And they were in prison, shackled in prison for no other reason than loving God and serving Him and sharing the gospel. And at midnight, a miracle happened. At midnight in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were facing these dire circumstances. They had been beaten nearly half to death. And in verses 25 and 26, here's what the Bible says. Midnight they were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Now, remember what was happening. They were being tortured. They were in chains and bonds. And what were they doing? They were singing and giving praise to God, the Bible said. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains fell off. They were unfastened. The attitude of Paul and Silas and those men around them was to give praise and glory to God in the middle of their circumstances because they knew who God was. They knew that the strength of God was greater than the torture 
and greater than the punishment that they were going through in prison. See, when, when you praise God with all your heart, and then you just keep on praising Him, even when circumstances are unbearable, God leads you to victory simply through giving praise and thanksgiving and worship to Him. Praise invites God to do what only God can do. Let me say that again. Praise invites God to do what only God can do. So today, if you're facing a circumstance that seems to be impossible, if you're facing a struggle that seems to be out of control, God's going to do one of two things if you continue to give praise to Him. He's either going to change your circumstances, which is what He sort of did with Paul and Silas in Philippi, and He can do that. He can change your circumstances. But even better yet, God can change you and allow Him to walk with you through those circumstances and then at the end of that, you give praise to God for who He is. He's the strength giver. He's the supplier of what you need to go through any challenging situation. Let Him change you if He doesn't change your circumstances. Praise is powerful for the heart of the individual believer. I want to challenge you today to do like the psalmist. I want to challenge you to write down the English alphabet, A to Z, and find something to praise God for for each of those 26 letters in our English alphabet. And see if it doesn't draw your heart to God to let Him carry you through any circumstance that you might be facing because of who He is. But that's not all we see in verse 1. <clears throat> in verse 1 we also see that God's praise is best exhibited in the personal context, but also in the corporate context, in community. Verse 1 says, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. That's why joining a church, being part of a church family is so important. Because it gives you an opportunity every week to come together corporately and as a body of Christ give praise and worship to God in community with people that you know and love and are willing to commit your life to knowing God and following Him with. Every week in this service that we share here, musically gifted worship leaders, spiritual leaders, give you the opportunity to join in this congregation to musically give praise to God. And that's invaluable. It lifts up the soul. But it also delights the heart of God and releases the power of God to do in this congregation what He wants to do. I want to remind you, this, this stage is not a place for people to show off talent. That's not what this is all about. It's not a showcase. It's not a platform. It's about worshiping and giving glory to God and 
That begins as we faithfully walk with the Lord and live with Him through the week, Monday through Saturday. People who lead from this stage are challenged to let our lives give glory to God through the week. So when we come here to worship Him, the worship will be with integrity and be, be authentic. I'm reminded in Joshua chapter 6 when, when God had led Joshua to take over from Moses and actually lead the children of Israel into the promised land. God told Joshua to take the leaders of Israel to lead God's people and one time every day for six days walk, march around the wall of Jericho. One time for six days. God wanted their hearts to be prepared for what He could only do. Those six days were so important because on the seventh day, He told them to march around the city wall seven times. And on the seventh time they marched around, here's what Joshua said. He said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Do you see the order here? Do you see the significance here? Six times you walk around one time. You prepare your heart for what God is going to do. And then you obediently follow the command of God on the seventh day to march around seven times and let God do what only God can do. Joshua got it right. It's the Lord who gives the victory over every challenge that we face in life. And spiritual leaders, the family of God, we need to have our hearts prepared Monday to Saturday so what we do on Sunday will have authenticity and, 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 and integrity to it as we lift up our praise and worship to the Lord. Now we also need to understand as we follow the logic of the psalmist here that you can't separate who God is from what He does. And so that leads to the second reason why we should praise God. Secondly, in verses 2 through 8, we see we should praise God for what He does. We praise Him for who He is, but we also praise Him for what He does. Verse 2 says, Greater the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. The psalmist was pointing here to the glory of the Lord. The works of the Lord are indescribable. Just think about it. If you, if you, if you look at the, the stars in the sky, the works of the Lord are as vast as the stars in the sky. If, if, you, if you look at, at trees on hillsides and mountainsides, the creative work of the Lord is as vast as the creation of all those those trees. If you, if you go out into the ocean and you try to, uh, you know, you try to uh, just look at the depths of the ocean, the works of the Lord and all that's in the ocean are, are examples of the exhaust, the, the creative power of, of God. Have you ever watched a sunrise or a sunset recently? And realize how awesome God is to create a system where that happens, never fails, on a regular basis. The psalmist is saying, friends, when you know God, you are invited to delight in the works 
of the Lord. So Palmetto Shores, I want to challenge you today to step up to the plate and delight in what God has created, what God has done. This time next month, some of us will be in Africa and Zambia. And some of us will be sleeping out under the stars, hopefully hearing some lions roar and maybe even seeing some lions walk about in the African bush country. Again, it's, it's just an example of the awesomeness of God. But here, here's the point. Here's the point I'm making and I think the psalmist is making. Just the fact that you can see and just the fact that you can hear and observe the creation of God in our world should draw you to give praise and glory to Him for His works. He's awesome. He's majestic. Uh, some people get thrills out of hearing lions roar. Some people get thrills out of hearing motorcycles roar. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at some people out here today who have Harley Davidsons, and you know, you love the sounds of these Harley Davidsons. Just hearing sounds is such a blessing from God that should draw us to give praise and give glory to Him. Verse 3 tells us how we can praise God. It says, God is full of splendor and majesty in His work, and His righteousness endures forever. So we're challenged, along with the psalmist, to praise God by living in His righteousness. So what is righteousness? Well, righteousness simply means that, that God is perfect. He has never made a mistake. He's not making a mistake now. He never will make a mistake. God is perfect. God is holy. And the purpose you have been created is to walk with God, to know God, to give praise to God. There's a problem there. Because God is perfect and God is holy, God is righteous, and I'm not. And you're not. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's righteousness. And so there's a mismatch here. We can't fulfill our purpose because of our sin nature. But God has created His plan for you and me to walk in righteousness. Not in our own strength, but in His strength. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means we're separated from God by our sin. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God has created a great exchange. He's created a plan where He takes His righteousness and substitutes our sin for His righteousness. He didn't have to do that. He did that because He loves you so much. And when you understand, even better than the psalmist could understand, because we've seen this happen. We've seen God become a man and live among us. We've seen God die on the cross and shed His blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. 
And so God wants to exchange your sin and my sin for His righteousness. And when He does that, then He opens up the door for us to walk hand in hand in harmony with Him. And that is the gospel truth. God wants to exchange your sin for His righteousness. And so when the psalmist says that the, the full of, God is full of splendor and majesty in His work and His righteousness endures forever, that means that you are invited to exchange your sin for God's righteousness and then walk with Him on this earth and walk with Him throughout eternity. How does that happen? Well, the psalmist explains that in verse 4. He explains how this can happen. In verse 4 he says, God, He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Here's how this works, and no one knew this better than David, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 51. David had committed adultery. He had sinned against God. He had committed murder. And yet his heart was so devoted to God Here's the key. He was willing to repent of his sin. And that doesn't just mean say, I'm sorry. That means he was willing to say, God, I, I have sinned. He admitted his sin. And then he turned away from his way of living, turned away from his sin, and he turned to God. That's what full repentance is. It's saying, God, I'm sorry, yes, but... I want to demonstrate how sorry I am by giving up living like I want to live, living up my plan, living like what's going to be best for me, and being willing to let my life show that you are in charge of my life. I'm going to be willing to do something that is maybe not what the world would do. See, David was a king. He could do what he wanted to do as far as managing his own life, but he gave up that right by repenting of his sin and turning to God. And I sense that some of us are like that today. We need to quit trying to live on our own terms and repent of living on our own terms and say, God, you take control. I want you to be glorified through the way you use my life and my testimony to show the world how great you are and how powerful you are. How did the Lord do this? In verse 4, He did it through His grace and through His mercy. God's grace is God giving me what I can't earn for myself. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I can't be good enough to earn God's grace. If I could earn it, it wouldn't be grace. It's a free gift that God wants to give. Not only does He provide His grace, but He provides His mercy. The psalmist said, God is merciful. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve separation from God. But when God shows His mercy for me, He pours out His mercy for me then He gives me what I need rather than what I deserve. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sin, 
That's all of us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, that can only happen by God's mercy. And I trust that you're willing to live according to receiving His grace and receiving His mercy today, accept His provision, and then give glory to Him. See, God has been consistent since creation with providing all that we need to accomplish His purpose. The psalmist says in verse 5 of Psalm 111, He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. The psalmist was thinking back, I'm sure, to the wilderness wanderings where God led the children of Israel to leave Egypt and go back to the promised land. Along the way, what did God do? He provided every need they had. He provided manna for them to eat. He provided quail for them to eat. He provided water for them to drink. Every need they had was provided by God. Are you willing to trust Him to provide every need that you have today as well? When God promised Abraham that He was going to build, Abraham had no children. God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, the number which outnumber the stars in the sky, in the heaven. And He made a covenant with Abraham. And the psalmist was reminding us that God fulfilled that covenant. And then what did the psalmist do? He gave God credit for fulfilling that covenant. In Psalm 11, verse 6, He's shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Again, the psalmist marveled. He marveled at the power of God to provide for His promised inheritance. And then in verse 7, he says, The works of his hands are faithful and just, and his precepts are trustworthy. When someone is trustworthy, and they ask you to do something, you can put your full faith and trust in their ability to do what they say they're going to do. And that's what the psalmist was praising God for. The psalmist knew God intimately. And so he understood how faithful God was to provide his promises. So I have to ask myself today, and I have to ask you, do you know God intimately? Are you willing to totally trust him rather than trusting what the world throws at you and suggests that you do in a pressure situation. The psalmist gave praise and glory to God because he knew Him intimately and he trusted His perfect judgments, His precepts. And God is faithful today. If you're willing to trust Him, put your life totally in His hands. He is faithful. See, when you know God intimately, when you walk with Him in integrity, you can't help but trust Him, and you can't help but praise Him and give glory to Him because of His trustworthiness. You know, it's easy to trust when things are going well. I know people in this church who 
have things that are not going so well. Uh, this week, I, I read four stories from the voice of the martyrs. And the author said, and I quote, I know that we're meant to thank God for what he has done. But I readily admit that knowing this is different from doing this. Instead of offering God my thanks, I'm frequently tempted to complain and get frustrated or even angry with God when I face difficult, difficulty and loss, especially when I suffer in my physical body. Now, what's going on here? There's, there's like a tug of war going on. You know, God, why is this happening to me? It's okay to ask God why something's happening. But it's not okay to get angry with God. See, that's, um, that's, that's what happens when, when we get under pressure and tough things start happening in our life and you know, the, real, the real heart that we have comes out. Are we willing to praise God and trust God in the tough circumstances? One of the lives of stories of the people I read about this week says, while recovering from a near-death knife wound from praying and sharing Jesus, a Tanzanian believer was asked, how can we thank God for this? His heart was so full of his intimate relationship with God and thanksgiving that he responded by donating his land so that a new church could be built in his area. See, his true heart was exposed when he was squeezed. And our true heart is fully exposed in suffering when we go through a difficult situation as well. We do well to consider what giving gratitude and praise and thanks to God through times of difficulty can really mean to people around our lives. There may be someone who is watching us and our reaction who's far from God. And God may be using you to get their attention to draw them to Him just by the way you react in a difficult situation, in a tough situation. The faithfulness and character of God are revealed, the psalmist says, in His precepts, in the intents of His heart. And the precepts of the Lord are trustworthy. So in verse 8, the psalmist says in Psalm 111, those precepts, the precepts of the Lord are trustworthy. Verse 8, they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. In other words, this might sound crazy, but God can't do anything inconsistent with who God is. And God's character is to be trustworthy, worthy of our praise. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the Bible says that in this world you will have trouble. But in verses 10 and 11, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Praise God forever and ever. Amen. Now here's what that means. That means that when you're struggling with something, 
You can trust Jesus to, look what he says, restore you. I mean, that's, that's what David drew from in Psalm 51. He was far from God in his action. But he trusted God to forgive him when he asked for forgiveness. You may be at that point today where you know you have sinned against God and you've not asked for forgiveness. And today you need Him to restore you. So ask Him. Confess your sin. Accept His forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and you feel like God has abandoned you. Last week in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we were reminded of the fact that Paul felt that way. Remember? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, Everybody abandoned me. There was nobody with me except Jesus. If you feel like everybody has walked out of your life, everybody's abandoned you, realize that for the believer, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. He will not only restore you, but He will also confirm the strength that He wants to give you. Perhaps you feel weak in some battle that you're going through today. I encourage you to put your full desire in drawing from the strength of a Savior who was tortured and nailed to the cross and then arose from the dead so that He could give you the strength that you need to walk through any valley, any battle that you may be facing in your life today. Let Him establish you. Let Him perform with you and in you and through you what only He can do. Nobody else can do it. So when the ground under your feet feels shaky, understand that that's a good place to be because God is there to hold you up. He's there to establish you when you are willing to submit to Him and quit trying to hold yourself up or trust in somebody from this world to hold you up, let Him hold you up and strengthen you and encourage you. So we praise God for who He is, we praise God for what He's done, and then finally this morning, we praise God for His redemption. We see that in the last two verses. In verse 9, He sent redemption to His people. That's consistent with God. God has wanted to redeem every person who has ever strayed away from Him. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. And holy and awesome is His name. The holy and awesome name of God is fully exposed in His covenant redemption plan. So let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean for God to redeem His people? We've seen all through book 5 of the Psalms, back in, verse, in Psalm 107, verse 2, the Bible says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, here's what it means. It means that God has provided all that you need for Him to rescue you. To redeem means to buy back. It means to, to, to rescue. Uh, there's a very clear picture of this in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. God told Hosea 
to go and marry a prostitute. Now that seems crazy, doesn't it? That's what God told Hosea to do. And so he, he did it. He went and he married the prostitute. He had three children with that prostitute. And then she still, because even though he loved, Hosea loved her so much, she went back to her old way of life. She ran away from him and went back into prostitution. And Hosea loved her so very much that he went to the slave block where she was and he bought her back. That is a picture of how much God loves you and me. Even though we sin against him, even though we run away from him, even though we rebel against him, he comes after us constantly and he's provided redemption for us. He's provided, provided the ransom necessary to pay for the penalty of our sin and and buy us back. There are hundreds of people in this church who know what it's like to be set free from the penalty of our sin, to be redeemed, to be bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then be restored in our relationship with Him and be restored in our ability to give praise to Him with our lives through service. Have you trusted Him today to set you free from slavery to sin? If not, I pray that you'll do that right now. I pray that you'll say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for the sake of Christ Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sin. Commit all that you know about yourself to all that you know about Him and say, God, I want the rest of my life to be a praise and glory and honor and worship to you. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because it's the wise thing to do. And the psalmist closes with this thought. In verse 10 of Psalm 111, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever. What is he saying? He's saying that nothing is better than trusting God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is to hear his call for you to come to him on his terms and surrender your life totally and completely to him. First of all, for salvation. But then for him to invade your life to the degree that you let your light shine for Him. Nothing is better than aligning your life with God's precepts and commandments. So why should we praise God? Well, we should praise God for who He is. We should praise Him for what He's done. And we should praise Him for His redemption, for His ability to take us from a life headed uh, to hell a life of sin, and redirect us to give glory and praise and honor to Him forever and ever. One of the greatest weapons that the psalmist had was praise. Ten years ago, my, my daughter gave me a very unusual Christmas present. She gave me an entry to run the Kiowa Marathon with her. 
Now, I had run 11 marathons, so I knew what it was like. I knew what the training was like to get ready to run 26.2 miles. I was concerned that she didn't quite understand all that was involved in that adventure. But sure enough, that December, we towed the line together at Kiowa, and we began running the 26.2-mile marathon. There's a part in every marathon where the, the, the novice runner... And about mile 19 is what they call hits the wall. In other words, your body has done just about all you, your body thinks that it can do. And you just kind of let down. Well, we got to mile 19 and I noticed she was really struggling. And so here's what we started doing. I would quote a verse from the Bible, a praise verse from God. And then she would quote a verse. And then I would quote a verse and she would quote a verse. And so for the last six or so miles of that run, seven miles of that run, we gave praise to God and we quoted Bible verses to each other. And we sang praises to each other. And sure enough, when we got to 26.2 miles of the run, she and I literally towed the finish line together. We crossed the finish line at the same time. Friends, God has reached out to you and me in such a powerful visual way to give us life, the breath of life, the ability to hear, the ability to see, the ability to function in life, the ability to, to enjoy the resources that He's given us in life. He's provided a way for us to victoriously run through this journey that we call life. And my prayer for you today is that when you hit the wall, this week or sometime in your life when you hit the wall, that you'll realize that God is there to pick you up and carry you if necessary. He's put other people around you to encourage you and to go with you through the rest of the journey. But the key is being willing to do life His way. Not the way of the world, not the way of human logic, but to do life with Him. And that starts by trusting Him, admitting that you need Him, confessing your sin to Him and letting Him be your Savior. But even more so, after becoming a believer, after becoming a Christian, it continues by you letting God use your life to give praise and glory and honor to Him. And we'll pick up right there with Psalm 112 next week because it's another acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. And we'll continue to praise God by looking for what He's done and who He is and the redemption that He's provided for us. God, I thank You today. And I know there, there are people sitting in this room who have situations in our life where we can't handle it on our own. We need You, God, to do what only You can do. And I pray that You'll give us the faith and the grace today to trust You. And then after trusting You and giving our life to you, to be used by you, to be a testimony to other people, to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That we'll be like the psalmist and we'll give praise and glory to you with our life and allow you to use what we go through in life to be a song of praise to you as we trust you to walk with us, to carry us, to put partners alongside of us, 
to do life in such a way that it will give glory and honor to you. And because of that, God, we continue to worship you in Jesus' name.